Hello, hello, hello! Welcome back to the Cheesehead Hangover podcast. I am Garrison Anderson, and next to me is my lovely sister and co-host, Sarah Anderson. Say hi to people, Sarah. Hi, people. Uh, welcome back, people. And it's always nice to welcome you back. We have beers in our hands. The Packers are 3-0. and And there's not much to complain about with life. You know, really, what more could you possibly ask for, Garrison? That's true. So we'll get started today with uh, giving some overall praise. We are Packers-focused podcast. We're both from Wisconsin. It was a good day in Wisconsin sports the past few days. The Badgers beat the Michigan Wolverines 35-14 to in a decisive win, and they upped their Over home. a higher-ranked team. Exactly. Michigan came into the game ranked uh, number 11 in the nation. Uh, Wisconsin was ranked number 13. Very decisive win, something that they definitely needed to do if they need to want to return to the Big Ten championship game and challenge Ohio State uh, for entrance into the college football playoffs. And I was a little doubtful about this team going into the year, but looking at the performance by Jonathan Taylor and uh, actually having an okay passer in Jack Cohn, I really was uh, delighted and have been really optimistic now that I've seen the Badgers play some strong competition. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's something to play, you know, D2 school and a pretty low ranked D1 school and, and have a dominant performance when it's clearly a a different class of, of football program, but to go against a a well-regarded team like the like Michigan and still dominate, it's got to make you excited for the rest of the season. That's very true. And, I mean, who knows? In a few weeks, we could see Michigan lose a couple more games, and then we'll be talking about, oh, Jim Harbaugh is not the coach for Michigan. But for now, we'll say Wisconsin beat a really good team, and then Jonathan Taylor, the running back for the Wisconsin Badgers, looks like the Heisman candidate that we all thought he might be going into the season, and he looks like he will challenge the Tua Tagovailoa's of the world and the Justin Herberts and Trevor Lawrence's of the world for at least getting invited to that Heisman presentation ceremony. Not saying he's going to win it over a quarterback, but he's definitely in the conversation through the first three weeks of the college season. Do you think he'll give him a run for their money? He will give the quarterbacks a run for their money, indeed. Although Jalen Hurts, pretty good running quarterback for Oklahoma. Who knows? Uh, and then, of course, the Brewers are inching closer to a wild card berth in the Major League Baseball, uh, and they had a full three-game sweep this past week, so that was really great for the Brewers. And, as I mentioned before, the Packers had won. So to get started for this episode, now that we've praised Wisconsin, let's dive into some news and notes, because some things actually went on this past week relating to the Packers and Uh, their team overall that was of interest. Um, Early in the week after we recorded our last podcast, we learned that the Packers traded Trevor Davis to the Oakland Raiders, Trevor Davis being the kick returner um, and wide receiver for a 2026 round pick. What are your initial reactions, Sarah? You know, I finally felt like Trevor Davis had turned a corner this season and was really going to fulfill the the potential that he he has especially as a wide receiver um i know oh, he's been returning kicks for a couple of years now and and shown his his ability to do that um but we finally saw in the first game of the season as well as um 
throughout the preseason, his his real ability to just go get the football and and get yards. And it was it was exciting. And now that excitement has gone to Oakland. Um, so I was a little sad to see him go because I thought you know we finally were starting to see you know where see that he where his ceiling could be, um, where it felt like he'd been kind of capped by it for quite some time. Um, but on the flip side, he's at the end of his, his rookie contract. He's in his fourth season. You know, was he going to perform well enough to merit signing after that? You know, we will never know the answer to these questions. So more draft capital can never hurt. Exactly. And it's not entirely uncommon for teams to take undrafted pre-agents like a one Darius Shepard or a guy that they picked up off the street, Traymond Smith, and turn them into special teams contributors in the return game. And while Davis certainly was one of the best in the league that had the talent of returning kicks, a lot of times we're seeing it more and more with the kickers and the punters in this league. They're more nullified and returns a lot of times you just want to let them go through the end zone and go to the 25-yard line and call it a day. Yeah, and, and I thought we saw Darius Shepard do a good job of, of weighing his judgment of, of when just to catch it. He had a, he had a good stunt on one of the early um, kicks uh, where he, he, he faked everyone to the 10-yard line and it bounced at about the 5 and then rolled right into the end zone before anyone could realize where it was. So, um, you know, it's young man's league. We got a younger man. And, um, and we got a draft pick out of it. And we learned something at least about what they're going to do and the, the Packers are going to do in the meantime with the return game. It looks like, at least from this past week, they're going to have Darius Shepard on the punt return team and then Traymond Smith on the kick return team. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Traymond Smith, he had a pretty easy day. He just uh, waved his arms a few times saying no catch and no. Uh, watched it watched it fly behind him. Exactly. I think I could do that. I could do that as well. Put me in, coach. Uh, So uh, another news note uh, for the Packers is they've placed guard Lane Taylor on IR um, and brought back Adam Pankey, formerly of the Green Bay Packers practice squad, who is with the Tennessee Titans practice squad. Um, The Packers signed him off uh, the Titans practice squad and elevated him to the 53-man. And... Lane is going to be out for eight weeks and likely come back at that point. It doesn't sound like he'll be out much longer than that. And in the meantime, Elkton Jenkins will replace him at that starting guard position. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I think it was on the first drive. Elton had a, was it a false start called on him? He had, he had a penalty called on him mm-hmm. of some sort. And I was a little nervous because it was 74. 74 is the rookie. But um, after that play, I didn't think about him the rest of the game, which for an offensive lineman means he was doing he was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. Um, and then a uh, little bit more of a fun, funner note uh, for this team. Uh, Zadarius Smith, the defensive captain for the Packers, uh, after a convincing uh, week two win against the Vikings, uh, he ended up taking out the entire defense for a dinner. And it turns out feeding a defensive unit only costs about 5 k 
So one one big dinner on the defensive captain, uh, giving the team a little motivation and showing some appreciation for the early success that the defensive unit has had. And I mean, he did take them all to his steakhouse, and you know these these guys weren't just going to order a salad. Uh, one one uh, rookie uh, that was unnamed asked, uh, "What's the limit, Z?" and <laughs> Z said there is no limit, uh, but it only ended up being about a cool five thousand. So, <clears throat> quite a nice dinner. Nothing. Give I feel. It. I feel like it isn't one of these bills that turns out to be twenty, thirty k with all this bottle service, <laughs> these really expensive vintage drinks and things like that. But it ended up being a good old steakhouse dinner with the boys. Yeah, you know, Z got paid, and it's kind of cool to see how he's paying it forward. Exactly, and certainly earning that captain patch uh, so far throughout the first three weeks on and off the field. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Shall we zoom out to to the rest of the league? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll cover a few quick performances from the week that I wanted to hit, and then we'll talk about uh, one other news note. Uh, one of the interesting games of the week for me was the New York Giants versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For a couple reasons, uh, Daniel, it was an exciting game. It was a somewhat exciting game. Uh, Daniel Jones led the line, the Giants, to an 18-point comeback over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, and won his first NFL start, uh, in which he was replacing Eli Manning. Um, also in this game, uh, possibly the best player in the entire league, Saquon Barkley, uh, best non-quarterback in the entire league, uh, got uh, knocked out of the game, and it ended up being a high ankle sprain, which is intended is expected to sideline him for something to four to eight weeks of the year. So uh, I have him on my fantasy team. I'm not happy about it, but got to have that next man up mentality. Uh, that was one game I definitely wanted to hit uh, because it, while the Giants are not a good team, it has some storylines and they are starting to make a transition away from their elder quarterback statesman. And a lot of teams are going through that right now with Big Ben being out for the year and Mason Rudolph replacing him. And then also, Drew Brees being out uh, for the uh, for about four to eight weeks, and Teddy Bridgewater and old friend of the Packers uh, Taysom Hill uh, acting as current quarterbacks in residence. <laughs> um, uh, even Philip Rivers, who came in with the same class as uh, Big Ben, was like, "I should start thinking about my retirement, my mortality. At least <laughs> it certainly makes you think." Uh, so one other national storyline that we wanted to cover, at least for a second, is the continuation of the Antonio Brown saga. Uh, so a couple things came out uh, of him uh, doing some, we'll just say, negative practices with a couple of the women who are uh, bringing civil suits against him. Uh, he had a situation where he texted in a group text with his lawyer one of his PR guys, and he actually texted one of the women who's accusing him and a personal investigator all in the same group text. So the woman was in the group text and he said, you should look into this woman and then tweeted, then added a picture of the woman and her two children. And the personal investigator said, don't worry, I'm on it. 
which it's just more ridiculous. You couldn't write this into a movie script. Um, and uh, it eventually, the league is still going into it with pending investigations and have talked to his accusers. Um, and Antonio Brown uh, got cut by the New England Patriots. And if he would have made it to this very day, today, Monday, September 23rd, he would have got $5 million because his first batch of guarantees on the one-year $9 million contract he signed with the Patriots was going to come in a check today. So in the course of 21 days, he's lost out on $35 million in guarantees, played one game for the Patriots, got one touchdown, and got paid about one hundred and fifty grand. Although, if you think about it, Getting paid for 150 grand for basically one major play, that's actually not that bad. Not that bad, but certainly the Antonio not Brown. Not what he could have earned. Exactly. And the Antonio Brown saga will go on, but I'm just sick and tired of him. I'm done with him. So. I am too. So let's pivot yes. to who the Patriots played on Sunday the Jets. The Jets. They beat the spread. Which made me excited. And then more exciting is that Ficken scored two of two. So Ficken, being the newly, relatively recently acquired kicker for the Jets, uh, was uh, competing with our very own Mason Crosby for the pre- during the preseason. Um, they didn't bring him in so much for competition, but rather to give kind of him, Mason, some veteran rest as he was coming back from a minor injury. Um, but then Ficken really gave him a run for his money and, um, you know, has earned his way onto a team and he scored all of their points, uh, last week, week two of the season, um, two of their 14 this week, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I am too. And the Jets, while they don't have much to be happy about, you know what, you got a kicker situation, figure it out. And Sam Darnold, I hope you get better soon from not mononucleosis. Yeah, be careful who you kiss out there. Be, here, be careful who you kiss out there. That's one of the rules of this podcast. Be careful who you kiss out there. Uh, so we'll go on from there and uh, let's get into the game film uh, from the Packers. I would say somewhat convincing win over the Broncos. Uh, you were actually very close on your prediction for this game this past week, which was? My prediction was 17 to 28, and so I was one off. You were one off on both. So the Packers won 27 to 16 to improve to 3 and 0, and the Broncos, poor souls, start out 0 and 3. And for first year head coach Vic Fangio, you got to feel for him. But, you know, it's not like he's not without company. There are most of the first-year head coaches are 0-3. Uh, or have losing records. So let's uh, – uh, what, what, side, what side do you want to start out on with this game, Sarah? Uh, do you want to start out with the Packers offense against the Broncos defense or the Packers defense against the Broncos offense? Let's, let's start with our offense. Um, I will say I loved how this game started. You know, it started with a drive where they're moving down the field, and then all of a sudden, Von Miller jumps offside. And we, you know, it felt like 2011, two, yeah, 2011, free play, throwing it up, MVS, sprinted down the field, touchdown. 
Yeah. It's been a while since we saw something like that. Yeah, taking advantage of free plays has always, I felt, been like an Aaron Rodgers specialty. And we didn't get a chance to see a lot of it last year. Um, or really much the year before that either. Exactly. And in Aaron Rodgers' postgame presser, he noted Marquez has a legit 4-3 speed. And on that play, he note, uh, recognized there was a free play jump ball and just went for it and was able to get in behind the defensive back and catch it for a touchdown. And I have to admit, at the start of the game, I kind of thought it might be MVS's turn for a 100-yard game. And he proved me wrong. Yet again, I was off by one. Exactly. With 99 yards. 99-yard game. Uh, certainly, it was a great performance. And I think something that is encouraging and I think more and more becomes clear that MVS is the clear number two in this wide receiving core. I, I agree. Um, he's got the speed. He's starting to play to that speed. Um, and, you know, that means his potential is only growing. Exactly. Um, and it should be said that this was also a wet game. It was yes. raining throughout most of the morning in Green Bay, so the field, while it was covered, definitely got wet. And then it was raining throughout a lot of the game. There were certain points where it even looked like it was downpouring for a little bit. Particularly in the third quarter, there was uh, one Denver – it was almost entirely a, a Denver series with the ball, and it just poured. And you could just see it on the screen. You could see the rain running down their helmets. It was a wet, wet day. Certainly, certainly it was wet. It was a little sloppy and the rain and conditions can impact the game to some degree. But for a one Jamal Williams, this uh, conditions didn't have any impact at all. Well, <laughs> I actually, I think he almost, like, I heard it said after the game that he does seem to play better when the conditions are worse. And I think this game epitomized that. Um, uh, Aaron Jones, he, you know, they were giving it to him. 10 carries, 19, but only 19 yards, 1.9 yard average. But I guess if you're only going to run 19 yards, if uh, two of those runs are into the end zone, you can't complain too much. Um, but Jamal Williams, wow, what a day. 12 carries, 59 yards, 4.9 yard average. Like he was hot. Um, and you like you could tell during the game, he was just able to churn Um Matt LaFleur definitely struck a more even balance between Jamal and um, Aaron this week. And the, the I passing, mean, it was still but... fairly balanced last week as well. And it uh, one thing I noticed was, I mean, last week we had Jamal catching the screen pass for a touchdown. And then this week, uh, Jamal had two more catches, uh, one for 17 yards and one for 10 yards, um, which are first down plays uh, in an offense. and. Whether it be the conditions this week, I think we'll continue to see balanced uh, between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And if it's raining, Jamal Williams mentioned that he feels like a mermaid out there when it rains. So yes. he's going to be the guy when it rains. <laughs> well, when he, he said, rain slows everyone else down. I feel like a mermaid. I feel like SpongeBob. So, you know, Jamal, if you feel like SpongeBob under the sea, go for it. <laughs> But, I mean, more importantly, I think in Wisconsin is, is when that rain starts starts freezing and turning to snow. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think paying attention to that and paying attention to how their production shifts as, the, as, as Lambeau's condition shifts will be really interesting. 
But um, I was a little sad not to see Matt LaFleur tilt the scale a little bit more in Jamal's favor. He had, he had, he was running hot and, um, you know, they, they kept it balanced, but I almost wonder if they didn't, didn't hold him back. Very fair. Very fair. That's, I think something to continue to watch in this offense moving forward. Matt LaFleur obviously has shown an interest in focusing on the run and seeing how that's broken up between the two backs, uh, both for balance sake and workload and, to see who has more success going forward, uh, we'll see. This is a new offense. How people perform can change week to week until they sort of settle into their roles in this offense. I was a little sad to say, though, that uh, they let Aaron Jones run that one touchdown in instead of Danny Vitale after his uh, 40-plus yard catch to get it down to about the half-yard line. it was kind of funny. I think Aaron in his press conference mentioned, you know, maybe he didn't get his knees up. Well, Vitaly kept his knees up, but he couldn't keep his butt off the ground and mm-hmm. bounced into the end zone, unfortunately. Um, so he got awful close, but it would have been nice to kind of see a fullback punch the punch the ball in for the for the score. Yeah, and uh, maybe later in the season. Maybe later in the season. Uh, Vitaly on that one catch for twenty-seven yards. Um, he did get close to the end zone. Uh, he said, Vitaly said in his post game that, uh, Aaron Jones, uh, was going to give him that touchdown ball because he thought that Vitaly earned it. Uh, and certainly I was impressed by Vitaly's blocking throughout a lot of the game. He picked up some good pass pro blocks, but also some, uh, good run springers, uh, throughout the game. So that's encouraging to see the fullback being used and, uh, Vitaly was wearing a hat after the game, make fullbacks great again. And while I can't endorse the make America great again, I can endorse make fullbacks great again. So, Danny, we're putting you in charge of that. We're putting you in charge of that. Show us what you got. Um, yeah, so is there anything else that you want to mention on the offensive side of the ball? Um, I think, I think the, I think one thing that I've noticed is, uh, folks have been really interested in this offense's full potential. And to some extent, I understand and agree with that. But I think we've seen a lot of growth and development in three weeks. And I think folks are being a little bit too hard on this offense, needing to see more of this offense and having doubts with it. Um, certainly Aaron Rodgers is a perfectionist and he even mentioned he wants to score more points. He wants perfection out there as does Matt LaFleur, I'm sure. But I'll say to any of those media members that say this looks like a stagnant offense. Um, the Packers had six game last year, six games last year where we didn't score over 17 points. And we played a couple of the toughest defenses in the league in the Bears and the Vikings um, and so far this year, we've averaged 19.3 points per game. Well, so we'll get to the blowouts. We will get there. We will have at least one or two blowouts this year. I'm certain of it. I'm not worried about that. So for all of those that want that high-flying four-wide receiver set uh, Packers offense back in the Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb days, cool it. That's not what this offense is anymore. We'll get to the big plays. We'll get to all that stuff, but give it time. Well, and you have to just even look at really like how how the score of the game has progressed. 
you know, 10 the first week, 21 on week two, 27 on week three. We went from two scoring drives to three scoring drives to five scoring drives. Like, this is the right direction. Um, I think the hard part, though, is that there are so many plays that are so close. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm kind of looking at some of these, um, the, the Green Bay receiving stats from the game. You know, you know, looking at Mercedes Lewis, who tied his uh, total catches from last year in week three with up to three for the season. But um, he, especially Robert Tanyan, I noticed with the tight ends and there there were others, but it just stuck out to me when when Aaron was throwing to the tight ends. He often threw just like just beyond their fingertips or like just over their heads. Um and, you know, there's or, you know, like there was just a little bit off. They were just a step behind um, like Robert Tanyan running down the um, sideline, laying out for close to goal line position, if not potentially falling into the end zone on that. Um, there's just so much that's so close. And not quite. Exactly. And I think. I think that's why people are so hard on the team right now. And it's not that they aren't growing and it's not that they aren't progressing. It's just that the things they're leaving out there are so close. Exactly. And I'll, I'll say this. I'm thankful that Aaron Rodgers is taking a little bit more ownership in his misses this year, comparatively to last year. I think he recognizes the opportunities that he leaves out on the field and it's, Nice to hear that and nice to hear him want that perfection, which he always does. And I have full confidence that he and this offense will get there. Um, He has missed some throws and he's so close. Those throws are just by one football length away. Um, And they're tough throws to begin with. Um, So I am looking forward to seeing more of those. Um, I think one encouraging development, I saw a lot more crossing routes in this uh, most recent Packers game where wide receivers were left open over the middle. And uh, part of that was a function of guys crossing in the middle of the field, defenders missing some coverages, and then guys being left open to run and getting hit in stride. And I think that's uh, important because it's not it's not just back shoulder throws. It's not just over-the-top throws. It is working on the middle of the field a little bit more, which you get when you're working out of two tight end sets and working with a little bit more of between-the-hashes football. Yeah, and, I mean, this week in particular, they made, you know, they made the drives count when they needed to, um, especially capitalizing on the turnovers by the defense. And, you know... When you can do that and take advantage of those types of situations, like uh, Preston Smith's fumble being recovered on, on, within, on the five-yard line or within the five-yard line, and, and just punching it in and getting the seven and not settling for a field goal, um, we've had so many times where we, we've, you know, drives like that happen. You, you get the turnover, you're in great position, and then it falls apart and you have to settle. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not settling. They're... Um, even when they did kick a, um, a couple of the uh, field goal after the turnover, they they milked the clock on that drive. Um, so, you know, you've got to and, you know, that part of game management is huge to to to, um, 
you know, squander the clock as much as possible to prevent your opponent from having a chance. Yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject of sort of points, points scored, uh, let's also transition to the defense uh, that the Packers had against the Broncos and uh, points allowed. Because uh, I think this is, I mean, we've talked about the defense in the first two weeks. The offense technically isn't performing as well as last year. Last year, the Packers had 23, over 23 points per game. This year, only over 19 to this point. But the big difference is the defense. Uh, last year, the Packers held only two teams to under 17 points a game. And those two teams were the Dolphins and the Bills. The Dolphins, who well, ever, the- everybody knows is tanking this year and wasn't all that good last year. And the Bills... They're 3-0. They're 3-0. <laughs> but last year, they had a rookie quarterback. And in this past offseason, they signed a ton of guys to infuse more talent in that team. Uh, so the Packers holding the Vikings, the Bears, and the Broncos to under 17 points through the first three weeks says something positive about their trend moving forward as far as we can win with only scoring three touchdowns a game. Yeah. And, and win consistently. And that's that's extremely doable, even when you're off any offense is having a, an off day. But yeah, no, it's pretty impressive to hold hold any three teams in the league to a, a you know twelve basically to twelve point average across three games. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, so looking at this defensive performance by this unit, uh, what did you think so far with how they played the Broncos and what you saw? This was just, I think, a textbook example of how important turnovers are. Generating turnovers and taking those turnovers. Um, You you know, they say the turnover differential predicts the winner of the game, you know, an incredibly high percentage of the time. And uh, this this is the textbook example of why. Um, You know, you look at look at the yard, you look at the yardage between the two teams. Um, you know, this game really could have been a heck of a lot closer if you're basing it a lot on a lot of the offensive stats. But as soon as you pull up that turnover differential, um, it just instantly flies in the direction of the Packers. And you don't really need to see much else to know um, how dominant they were this game. And really, there are a lot of things contributing to that. But I think you're seeing two really positive trends so far this year. Uh, the Packers are plus six in the turnover margin through three games. And they also have 12 sacks so far this year. And 12 sacks is good for third in the NFL to this point. So that, along with the Packers only, allowing the fifth fewest yards per passing game, uh, sort of brings up, like, you may be giving up some plays in the run. You may be giving up some plays in the pass. But you're really limiting plays in the pass. And then you're getting the turnovers to be able to flip the script on games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the they they just you can tell how hungry this defense is for the ball. Um, thinking about Jair Alexander's fumble and, and recovery, um, he took the ball from Noah Fant. He he it was it was not like that ball was loose. He wanted it and he took it from him. Um, and I you know I think that just it that play really just epitomizes how hungry this defense is to prove it, you know, to prove itself, not so much to, I think, you know, the critics or the fans or 
but really just to themselves. Um, I think the the internal accountability on this team is unlike anything we've we've ever seen from the Green Bay Packers. I think so as well. Uh, there was an interview with Zadarius earlier in the week where he was asked by a reporter, when did you sort of know that this defense was the real deal? Um, and he said the uh, organized team activities practices with the Houston Texans, he felt like it's like, okay, we have guys who can compete. We have playmakers. We're going to be good on this side of the ball. And I think with every subsequent week when – you hold the opponents under 20 points per game, win the turnover margin, and get consistent sacks, you're going to continue to see that confidence and that swagger grow and grow. And you can tell in the post-game interviews, like folks after this most recent game were asking, do you think you have the best defense in the league? And the guys were confident about it. Jagger Alexander was, oh, shoot, yeah, for sure. Check the film. And I, I love that about Jair. He's like, check the film. You'll see it. So, And they've been putting up great films so far. They, they, they absolutely are. And I think what I really liked, um, especially about this week, is uh, that you started to see the rookies getting involved. Um, Rashawn Gary with uh, recovering the fumble, getting his first sack. Like, what a great game for him to just, um, you know, his rep count starting to increase, and he's, he's starting to show – that, yeah, I, I belong. I, I belong as a first-round draft pick. Um, and then Darnell Savage getting his first interception with, you know, and how dramatic that ended up being due to the refereeing. And we should talk about the refereeing just a little bit. Um, you know, good for him. Like, these two guys definitely have proven that uh, are, are, are making the case for why they were first-round picks. And, um it's, it's great to see uh, that sort of production coming that early from players that young. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this about uh, Rashawn Gary. Uh, I think there's a lot of narrative when you take a guy in the top 15 picks and he comes out with sort of the intangible or the tangibles of speed and power that he came with, but not necessarily the production he had coming out of Michigan because his stats as far as sacks and pressures were not as high as you would expect from a guy who was picked 12th overall. Uh, the narrative that people like to put forward is, can this guy produce and can he get the job done? And one of the positive things that I've seen throughout this period, yes, he hasn't had a lot of snaps to play, but uh, after this most we- recent game, uh, folks asked, uh, Zadarius and Preston Smith uh, with Rashawn Gary uh, feeling with Rashawn Gary having pressure on him. Like, how do you think you perform? And how did you feel for him getting his first sack? And Zadarius prom- promptly responded, "Shoot, there's no pressure on Rashawn." Like, and I think that's really great veteran leadership because you can easily get in your own head as a rookie with putting pressure on yourself and having those veteran guys out there to produce in front of you, take some pressure off yourself and also just be that support and like squash any sort of media storylines that no, there's no pressure on this guy. He's grown into his own. He's getting acclimated to the NFL. He's figuring out what being an elite pass rusher means in the league. And 
kudos to Rashawn for getting his first sack. Yeah, and I mean, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, especially in college, he was double and triple teamed at times because opponents knew how strong and powerful and productive he could be. And so to get him into a a league where, you know, there's greater parity and he's getting one-on-ones, especially on a sack, the way he plowed through uh, the Broncos tackle was just, he he had a motor and he would not, he was not going to stop until he got to the quarterback. Um, And he did. And that was, you know, we're only going to see more. Uh, and we're only going to see more technique. I mean, the sack he did have, like you said, it was a lot of a uh, power sack. Mm-hmm. There wasn't necessarily a lot of skill to get to the quarterback quick. He just straight up got the offensive tackle uh, off his feet almost. He got him standing straight up, and when you're a tackle, you want to be low. You want to have the leverage. leverage. <laughs> you need that leverage to fight against the guys. So when you're standing straight up, you've lost the battle already. So Rashawn got him standing up, pushed him back towards the quarterback, and then was able to shift off the yeah. block and get the sack. And, and get, get we'll around. see. We'll see more of those spin moves, those swim moves, those type of things as he develops. I think, um, but the power is there, and you can't teach power. No, no. And, um, I mean, you got to let, I mean, you hate to see that the defense was on the field for this many plays and had to get these many tackles, but I mean, Blake Martinez with 12, Kevin King with nine, Amos, Alexander, Tyler Lancaster, each with seven, like these guys are producing. Um, and it's great. Yep. Uh, so as we kind of uh, wrap up the Packers-Broncos game, any last things you want to men- mention offensively or defensively? You know, um, I would like to just talk about the refereeing. It felt a little crazy this particular week. Um, there was kind of holding all over the field. They didn't really, you know, call any of it. Uh, there's the crazy special teams play where Tony Brown got shoved into the, uh, returner, um, and he got flagged for it. Uh, it, but despite all the craziness on the refereeing half, um, that doesn't excuse the fact that the Packers had a ton of penalties this game. And, um, I think last week against the Vikings, the penalty differential was hugely in their favor. And I think that really helped them win that game. Uh, and this week it was the reverse and, you know, just thanks to the turnovers, we were lucky not to be in that type of situations, but they got to, you know, get rid of the delay of games, the false starts, the holding, um, that kind of stuff. Just they, they need, you can't, you can't have too many of those and expect to win. Yeah. And I think part of this is a function of what's going on across the league right now uh, with the, added review of having uh, challenge flags be thrown out there for uh, calls where you think there might be a penalty, that certainly is going to up the amount of penalties called. But also a lesser known rule behind that, there's a, a type of block called the lobster block. And basically what it is, is when you clamp on to an offensive tackle or a defensive tackle, around his pad frame that covers his torso and then you just hold on to that part it's not as obvious as when you're holding a 
pad shoulder or an arm or something like that, or you hold it like your arms completely outstretched and you're holding the guy's entire body back. Or you're just grabbing the uniform. Or when you're just grabbing the uniform. But this lobster block is when you really grab onto the pad core in the abdomen and really just clamp on like a lobster to hold onto them. And this has been a point of emphasis on the holding call for the NFL referees lately. And the holding calls across the league throughout the first two weeks were up over 60% comparatively to last year. So I think part of what we saw in this game might be something of an overcorrection, where I do think there were some calls that could have been called holding on some Packers players that weren't called holding. And I think that was partially because... It's been a little bit crazy across the league so far this year. So take it for what you will. Uh, It is what it is. Um, We'll see. And it's something to definitely monitor moving forward throughout the rest of the year. And, you know, there is nothing quite like the sound of your opponent kicking the football into the goalpost. Exactly. And it was not a double doink. It was but just gosh, a, even a single doink sounds even real a good. Single doink, yeah. Um, one of the last keys of the game that I wanted to review was just uh, Aaron had one comment in his post game presser that I thought deserved to be highlighted. Uh, this was probably the cleanest game that he ever had. He said uh, he only got knocked down on one play, which was the pass to Danny Vitale, um, and. He was excited to go back home and have some scotch and look at the Philly tape and uh, was happy that his body was feeling as good as it was after this game. And on a short week, I don't think that could have happened at a better time. Yeah, yeah that's all you can really ask for. Yeah. So with that, uh, let's move forward to the upcoming week and the Packers facing the Eagles. Um, one of the things I loved about this past week of play, I always like to watch our upcoming opponents. And when our upcoming opponents face NFC North rivals, it's double nice because I can do some scouting on that tape as well. So the Philadelphia Phillies and the Detroit Lions played this past week. The Lions won the game 27 to 24. Um, and Somewhat of an upset, I would say. Uh, Going into the game, the Eagles were definitely favored. Uh, They had a couple of their key wide receivers out of the game in Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson dealing with injuries. Um, And the Lions were really buoyed by uh, some turnovers on the Eagles side of the field who had two fumbles in the game. One of them was the wide receiver caught the ball and literally was not hit at all, caught the ball, made a football move, and then the ball fell out of his hands. So a very sloppy fumble. And then the other one was a Lions player really just punched the ball out and had a good play. Um, So the Eagles had a couple turnovers. The Lions got a special teams touchdown on a kick return. Um, One of the hallmarks of this Eagles team is a – aggressive team. Doug Peterson is kind of known as one of the more aggressive head coaches in the league. Uh, And they had a really good game overall on third down efficiency going seven for 13. Anytime you go over 50%, I generally think that's 
good. You're keeping your drives going. You're not letting them stall out on third downs as much. Um, but then Doug Peterson is also one to go for it on fourth down occasionally. They went for it twice on fourth down. Both of them were towards the end of the game where they were behind and needed to score uh, and went over two on two fourth down chances that they had. Um, so that's kind of what you're going to get when you have an aggressive head coach. Uh, sometimes you go for it on those plays and you don't end up getting it. Um, but overall, it was interesting to watch the Lions and I think for the most part, the Eagles had more yards in this game and were largely the better team in this game. And it came down to turnovers and special teams, <laughs> as it often does. Lions got the edge on both of those categories and were able to eke out a win against the Eagles. Now, that being said, moving forward uh, to the Packers versus the Eagles, uh, the Packers are favored by four and a half by fan duels. Uh, and then the public is betting on the side of Green Bay by 71% as of Monday. Um, and then the last six games between the Packers and the Eagles, the Packers are 5-1. and one. Um, So they've had the recent historical success. Um, as far as injuries, what we're looking at, uh, Jimmy Graham is still uh, questionable. Oren Burks is still questionable. Uh, dealing with some injuries uh, for the Eagles. They have Alshon Jeffrey is coming back from an injury and is optimistic to play. However, not for sure yet. And then Deshaun Jackson, their other fast wide receiver, is likely going to be out for, for this game. And then their, one of their starting defensive tackles, Timmy Jernigan, will be out for the game as well. And one other note from the Eagles-Lions game. The Eagles' defensive front was held without giving, without a sack for an entire game. So they didn't have a sack. Uh, looking at this game, Packers being favored by four and a half, knowing what you know about the Eagles, uh, what do you think heading into it? I mean, we're now starting to get to a point in the season where we have some stats. Um, unlike after week one and even after week two where you could – basically rule it all to chance unless it's you know really consistent like almost miami-esque consistent in a certain direction um in that in that case a downward direction um but you know for i think we're finally starting to get to a point in the season where some of these stats might actually mean something the teams are starting to kind of be who they're going to be um and you know Given given all you know the numbers from last week and kind of where the Eagles are at so far, um, you know if if winning the games against them comes down to turnovers and special teams, I really like the Packers' chances. I mean, I always like the Packers' chances, but I I won't be sweating bullets um, at kickoff necessarily. Uh, that being said, though, I I think the more important part of the Eagles' identity is their ability to be counted out and then come back and make you sorry. Um, and they've had that, you know, that was that was their identity two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. It was their identity last year to come back from being counted out and making it to the playoffs and beating, a, frankly, a much better Bears team in the playoffs to advance to the second round. Um, granted, they didn't get past that. Um, so, you know, the stats 
the stat like the stats and the trends are favoring the Packers. Um, but you know the the Eagles locker room is a place where you know once as soon as you start counting them out, that is when they make you sorry. Um, and you know I feel like people are starting to kind of question them being at one and two, having lost some kind of some tough games actually, um, and always being in it. You know they're they're going to be looking to flip the script, and uh, Packers got to be ready to 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 not let them do that. And you know I I do think our defense is up to the challenge. I think they're ready to to generate a bunch of turnovers. I think our offensive line is ready to stand strong again and and keep keep Aaron from getting hit. But um, you just never know. That's very true. Um... Yeah, it's a it's an interesting Eagles team. I think a lot of it does go through the quarterback Carson Wentz. Um, I think he is the I know he is the best quarterback we've seen this year so far. And if you have a great quarterback, you can end up winning a lot of games in this league. I think one of the things that concerns me the most about this game moving forward is Carson Wentz has had one of the best efficiencies in the league in converting on third down plays, uh, whether that be passing or actually running. Uh, I know there were two plays during the Lions game where they picked up uh, third down plays that were above third and five where uh, Carson Wentz was standing in the pocket looking for a pass play and then the pocket collapses and he's able to run for the first down. And I think that's what we expected Mitch Trubisky to be in week one. I don't think we would say we expected it from Kirk Cousins or Joe Flacco in the last two weeks. Um, (laughs) But that's what Carson Wentz actually is. That's what he brings to the table. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, And if you give him the opportunity, he will take advantage of that. Um, So I'm worried about his arm. And I'm more worried about his legs because I think he has that Aaron Rodgers-esque ability to extend plays and isn't afraid to go in for the run and run hard for that first down. And that's what caused him to get injured uh, when he was out for the tail end of his MVP season in that Super Bowl run. But that season, he was electric. And the reason he was electric was because he could run and pass for those first down plays. Well, even just looking at Third his stats plays. last game, uh, in passing, he averaged 7.2 yards per pass. And uh, his running average is 8.3. Yep. He went uh, four rushes for 33 yards against the Lions. Um, and that's something to think about. I think this Eagles offense uh might be better than the Packers offense in my mind. Um, I like their skill position players a little bit more. Um, We'll see if Alshon Jeffrey plays. If Alshon plays, I think this is a lot tighter game. Uh, He's a tall wide receiver. We saw him with the Bears. He can go up and get those jump balls. Zach Ertz had a historic year last year with a lot of catches from the tight end position. Um, I'm glad we won't be seeing Deshaun Jackson because his skill is really he can take the top off a defensive uh, unit. So I'm I'm gonna be really interested. I think this might be the best test we've had. I mean, you you just look at the points they've scored. Um, you know, even in their losses, they're scoring 
you know, 20 plus points. Um, they're, they're in these games and they can produce. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, uh, you know, how much can our, you know, I think it's going to actually be a really great test for our defense. How much can they really hold the line and, and, and continue to force takeaways at key moments in the game? Yeah, uh, that's definitely something I look forward to seeing for this game. Um, what else intrigues you? What 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 are some uh, key matchups that you're looking at for this game, and what do you think will be the ultimate uh, final score? You know, thinking about thinking about a team. You know, I'm kind of just glancing through their stats, but I'm really going to be interested to see if they, if our special teams can continue to hold um, and not let them get any any returns. They had uh, three kick returns last week for 54 yards, and 18-yard average is, is significant. And um, I just I have to admit, I, I um, you know, never thought we'd be talking about game-winning punts, but J.K. Scott is definitely giving us a reason to to keep keep an eye on that and just watch it watch as he tries to build consistency from game to game. Um, and I think this could be a really important one. You know, we've, we've seen Darren Sproles and other situations as well, really take off on us and score against us when he's played for other teams in the past. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I think it's going to be exciting to see Carson Wentz. Um, I think the last time we played them, I think he was injured at that point or was out. I think we were against Nick Poles. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. No one quote me and no one correct me. Just let me live in my fantasy world. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to to see whether whether he's doing it through the air or if he's going to beat us on the ground. But which way which way we can do it? Which way we can stop him? That's fair. Uh... All right. Well, I'll give you what I think might be some keys for the game. And while I do that, think about your final score prediction. Again, the line for this game is four and a half. Uh, so I think a lot about this game um, will revolve around the running backs and the offensive line. Uh, I think this might be a game to get the running backs involved in the pass game a little bit more. Uh, the reason I say that is because they have uh, the Eagles have a all-pro defensive tackle Fletcher Cox who can really influence the run game in between the tackles. Um, and while the Eagles team didn't get sacks uh, in last week's performance, uh, they did do a decent job holding the Detroit Lions running backs uh, to limited effectiveness. Um, so I think as far as game plan and game script goes, uh, having the running backs run a little bit more outside of the tackle boxes and then trying to develop some plays where you can get running back screens to sort of stretch the field uh, horizontally could be something that benefits the Packers moving forward and getting guys the ball in space, um, especially Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Um, and I'm going to give a bold prediction and say that Aaron Rodgers has another clean week and doesn't get sacked this week versus the Eagles at all. So we will see what happens there. As far as, as, far as final score goes, I do think this is going to be 
a really good test for our defensive backs uh, going up against probably Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar. Um, and I think they're up for the test. However, I think this is going to be a higher scoring game because Carson Wentz is going to make all the throws that Mitch Trubisky did. Um, so with that, uh, I'm going to say this game will be 24 to 31 and the Packers will win the game and cover the spread. And that is my final prediction for the game. Sarah, what is your prediction? My prediction for for this game is that uh, I actually think our passing game is really gonna it's gonna hit a spark. I think this will be the first time we go over 300 yards. I'll be bold and say we're gonna go over 350. Um, I'm also looking at the forecast. There's a chance of rain starting literally right around kickoff at this point. Granted, it's Monday and the weather will change by Thursday, but. Um, I'm going to say we're going to go over 350 yards, and the score, final score is going to be... Bah, bah, bah. We're going to go with a 21-35 Packer win. Okay. All right. Uh, that is it for this week's episode of Cheesehead Hangover. Do you have any final words for the people, Sarah? I do. I actually would like to re- quote... Uh, Rashawn Gary, as he um, was asked about the Packers defense, and he said, you know what? You can't put a ceiling on it. You can't put a ceiling on it, and nor can you put a ceiling on this team. Uh, That's it for this week's episode of Cheesehead Hangover. Uh, Let us know what you think. You can follow us on Twitter at CheesyHangover, and feel free to add us and Let us know what you think of everything and go pack go. We will be back and talk to you next week.